You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. And now a word from our sponsor, Netscope. Netscope is a worldwide leader in SASE and Zero Trust. Its unified platform, Netscope One, provides optimized access and zero trust security for people, devices, and data anywhere they go, helping customers reduce risk, accelerate performance, and get unrivaled visibility into any cloud, web, and private application activity. To learn more about how Netscope helps customers be ready for anything on their sassy journey, visit netskope.com. Twitter bots show up in Sweden's political discourse. Not so much Chinese hacking for influence. Beijing seems to prefer funding sympathetic cultural and research centers. 130 million hotel guests have their PII offered for sale on the dark web. Medical device vulnerabilities are disclosed and hospitals are urged to patch. Nexus Zeta faces charges in a U.S. federal court, apparently in connection with the Satori botnet. From the CyberWire studios at Data Tribe, I'm Dave Bittner with your CyberWire summary for Thursday, August 30th, 2018. Automated Twitter accounts have turned up in Sweden, according to a study by that country's defense research establishment. The bots, of unknown provenance, appear to be interested in the election, where they seem likelier to favor the country's third largest party, the Sweden Democrats, whose nationalist and anti-immigrant line appears positioned to make a run at overtaking the opposition moderate party for second place behind the governing Social Democrats. The Sweden Democrats have been working to expunge racist elements from their ranks without departing from their nationalist platform, and they may be seeing some success. The bots, wherever they come from, seem to like what's on offer. The U.S. FBI says that it doesn't have much evidence supporting recent reports and presidential tweets that Chinese intelligence compromised former Secretary of State Clinton's insecure private server. Observers say that doing so would represent a departure for Chinese espionage, which has specialized in intellectual property theft. Chinese information operations have tended to focus on sponsoring think tanks and cultural centers, a kind of malign version of Germany's benign Goethe Institute, to take one example. A few universities have cut ties with Chinese government-funded cultural centers over suspicion that they're being played in an influence operation, but a considerable number of them remain. Australian and U.S. universities have been of particular interest to the Chinese services. In this world of network-connected refrigerators, thermostats, and toasters, It can be an ongoing challenge for organizations to keep up with the proliferation of IoT and BYOD devices they see on their networks. Gilad Peleg is CEO at SecBI, and he offers his perspective. We as as security professionals are used to uh, dealing with quite, let's say, a rigid uh, environment, at least rigid compared to IoT. So, you know, there's PCs. There's Macs, uh, there's servers, uh, and, you know, here and there, or not here and there, everybody has their own uh, iPhone or Android, and and kind of that's more or less it. Let's add some 
cloud infrastructure and cloud services to the mix. That's that's where we are on the customer side, serving their uh, users. And now comes this, uh, I don't know, tidal wave of new devices with tremendous new uh, capabilities, but also a whole lot of vulnerabilities that a lot of them just don't have an answer at this point. And we even don't understand all the vulnerabilities yet. BYOD, bring your own device, is a problem. There's now a lot of discussions about zero trust or sanctioned services or not. The industry is, is you know, is, is working its way to, to solving or, or containing those uh, challenges. But IoT is a whole new uh, category and, a, you know, a whole new uh, battlefield. I think the fact is that we can't trust the device and if we can't trust the device, the next area or the next uh, uh, place to to look for protection is the network. If I'm an organization or if I have to uh, consult an organization, I will tell them, uh, look, if you can, buy, uh, you know, IoT from a brand name. Uh, try to understand the vulnerabilities. But you know what? One thing is for sure, you have to protect your network. You have to make sure that if something gets through, you will block it or you will detect that malicious activity on the network. That's a stronghold, that's presence. And when you, when a hacker gains presence in your network, it doesn't matter if he's infected your machine or he's infected uh, the smart TV or he's infected that uh, AC uh, controller. He has presence. He is literally inside your network and now it's up to him to decide what he does. He, we like to say he owns uh, 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 your network and... The only thing you need to do right now very quickly or as quick as possible is to detect that. That's critical. If you analyze network traffic and you do that well, and today uh, uh, companies like, like us uh, employ machine learning, artificial intelligence, to really be able to pick up the, the lowest signals to, to, to understand and detect very low and slow uh, attacks, taking them into context and allowing the security team to uh, detect and respond as quick as possible to any of those threats. That's Gilag Peleg from SecBI. A criminal is selling data belonging to 130 million guests who've stayed at hotels belonging to China's Wazoo Group. Several security companies report finding the offering in a dark web market. The hacker wants 8 Bitcoin, about $56,000, for the whole shebang. Manufacturers of two medical devices, Qualcomm's Life Capsule Data Capture Terminal Server and Becton Dickinson's Alaris Tiva Syringe Pump, disclosed through ICS CERT that their devices allow remote unauthenticated access. Patches and upgrades are available. Hospitals are urged to apply them. The issues were discovered and disclosed to the manufacturer by the security company CyberMDX. The data capture terminal server is susceptible to an old exploit, the misfortune cookie, which was described by the security firm Checkpoint back in 2014 when it noticed it in home routers. 
It's since cropped up in other IoT devices. This issue arises in the ROM pager software from AllegroSoft that's used in Data Capture. The misfortune cookie allows an attacker to use an HTTP cookie to write to arbitrary addresses in device memory and to do so without authentication. The Data Capture terminal server is a medical device gateway that connects monitors, respirator, anesthesia delivery systems, and infusion pumps to a hospital network. There are several disturbing possibilities in the misfortune cookie. Denial of service, unauthenticated login, privilege escalation, arbitrary code execution, eavesdropping, compromise of patient information, and so on. The most disturbing possibilities are that device functioning might be altered, thereby threatening patient safety. The Becton Dickinson Alaris syringe pump issue, also noted by CyberMDX, also could enable an attacker to alter device performance. In this case, a hacker would abuse a proprietary protocol to gain unauthenticated access to the device, at which point they could start or stop the pump, alter the rate at which it delivered drugs, or even silence alarms going to nursing stations. Again, it's worth noting that the latest versions of these systems don't suffer these vulnerabilities, but it's an old story in IoT security. People often bucket along with older, vulnerable versions, and the devices themselves are easily overlooked and may be difficult to upgrade in any case. A young man has been charged in connection with the creation of the Satori botnet, but observers wonder if he really had the technical chops to do the crime. Here's the case. Toronto resident Kevin Curran Shushman has been hauled before the U.S. Federal District Court in Anchorage, Alaska, by teleconference, and charged with two counts of violating the Computer Fraud and Abuse Act by installing malware into non-cooperating systems between August and November of last year. The charging document doesn't name the malware it alleges he installed, but the Daily Beast thinks signs point to the Satori botnet. Mr. Shushman had been active in various online hacking communities under the nom de hack Nexus Zeta. Checkpoint researchers notice Nexus Zeta's chat requests for help in setting up a botnet, and eventually the pseudonym was traced to him. Some doubt that he had the technical chops to pull off something like Satori. He's set to fly into Anchorage to face the court in person tomorrow. Every day, your IAM tech debt grows. Your multi-generational services struggle to work together. Building an identity fabric can fix this. It makes all your identity tooling stronger and allows you to connect any app to any service you want to use with zero coding, zero maintenance, and zero app downtime. Strata's identity orchestration platform separates the identity logic from your applications so you can optimize existing IAM tools and manage them in a single control plane. Now, every vendor, standard, and architecture work together. In short, building your identity fabric means you can secure your non-standard apps, keep your complex access policies, retire outdated IDPs, and modernize in record time. So build your fabric with Strata Identity and get rid of tech debt for good. Visit strata.io slash cyberwire, share your identity priorities, and receive a pair of AirPods Pro. Offer valid for organizations over 5,000 employees. Connect today at strata.io slash cyberwire.
And joining me once again is Mike Benjamin. He's the Senior Director of Threat Research at CenturyLink. Mike, welcome back. Um, We wanted to touch today on the Neckers botnet. What can you update us with here? Well, for those that are familiar with Neckers, it's not a new malware family, but it produces a substantive chunk of all of the spam that we see in the Internet. And while spam may not be a security issue for many listeners, it also sends a lot of mal spam. So we've seen this particular malware send ransomware over the last couple of years at, at a pretty large volume. More recently, we've also seen the actor deploy modules within the malware family that can do crypto mining, as is popular with a lot of threat actors these days. And so Neckers is particularly interesting because it's seen a lot of evolution over the spam botnets that have existed in the last, call it 15 years, mm-hmm. to the point that it is very difficult to take down. And so Neckers, however, through the resiliency that they've built, also makes it noticeable within a network monitoring perspective. And so we've seen the actor in recent months shutting down the malware for periods of time. Uh, In fact, it most recently just went offline on August 27th. And what's great about the time periods when they they knock their command and control structure down is, of course, they can't send spam. That's good for everybody. However, what we see is them calling back to the DGA domains that they've registered for the malware. And so monitoring in an environment for callbacks to those DGA domains can be a great way to find infected machines that folks may not be aware of. So explain to me uh, the contrast there between uh, the resiliency of Neckers, but also that it seems to be noisy when it's running. Yeah, so Neckers has a few different mechanisms in which it communicates with its its sort of uh, infrastructure. The first is an infected endpoint joins a peer-to-peer network. And so uh, while peer-to-peer protocols are more common these days, the behavior of a host joining a peer-to-peer network can be an anomaly within an environment. And so that's the first thing it does. The second is it reaches out over TCP to a command and control server, very much like a lot of malware does. It it reaches out and maintains a persistent connection looking for uh, the next command on what it should do. However, the last thing it does is when it can't reach its command and control, it also calls back to DGA, uh, just like quite a few malware families we've seen over the years. But it's really the combination of all of that together that ends up being a little louder than you might see from a traditional piece of malware. And in many cases, we see an actor choose one, not all three of these mechanisms in order to do its callbacks. And so the fact that a host shows all three of those behaviors can be a great signature for actually finding hosts that are affected with the malware. So when we're talking about its resiliency, then, is it, is it a matter of uh, the number of bots that are on the network that makes it hard to, to tamp down? Well, in order to fully remove the malware from um, the Internet is the resiliency that I'm describing. And so the fact that it's you'd have to remove all of its peer-to-peer network, all of its command and control, and pre-reserve all of its DGA domains for an extended time period in order to have the malware family start to shrink – that's a pretty big ask. And so while we do work to notify infected users of their infected machines, removing the sort of the brain and heart of that malware family is something the industry has not done to date. I see. All right. Well, thanks for explaining it for us. As always, Mike Benjamin, thanks for joining us. Are lengthy security reviews pulling attention away from your security program? With the largest network of trust centers, Vanta can help you streamline security reviews to win customer trust, save time, and close deals fast. Proactively demonstrate security 
by showcasing key resources like your SOC 2 or ISO 27001 and provide real-time evidence for passing controls. And when a security questionnaire is required, Vanta takes the first pass for you. Visit vanta.com slash cyber to take a self-serve tour. That's vanta.com slash cyber. And that's the Cyberwire. For links to all of today's stories, check out our daily briefing at thecyberwire.com. And for professionals and cybersecurity leaders who want to stay abreast of this rapidly evolving field, sign up for Cyberwire Pro. It'll save you time and keep you informed. Listen for us on your Alexa smart speaker, too. The Cyberwire podcast is proudly produced in Maryland out of the startup studios of Data Tribe, where they're co-building the next generation of cybersecurity teams and technologies. Our amazing Cyberwire team is Elliot Peltzman, Peru Prakash, Stefan Vaziri, Kelsey Bond, Tim Nodar, Joe Kerrigan, Carol Terrio, Ben Yellen, Nick Vilecki, Gina Johnson, Bennett Moe, Chris Russell, John Petrick, Jennifer Iben, Rick Howard, Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. We'll see you back here tomorrow. Hi, everybody. It's Maria Varmazas here, your host over at T-Minus Space Daily, and sometimes a guest on Hacking Humans, too. We here at N2K CyberWire work hard to bring you concise, intelligence-driven news and commentary, and we'd like to know how we're doing. Please take a few minutes to complete our audience survey and share your feedback to help us continue to grow and meet your needs. Visit cyberwire.com slash survey. That's cyberwire.com slash survey to get started. Thanks so much for your input as we reach for the stars. It means the universe to us. And now a word from our sponsor, Zscaler, the leader in cloud security. Cyber attackers are using AI in creative ways to compromise users and breach organizations. In a security landscape where you must fight AI with AI, the best AI protection comes from having the best data. Zscaler has extended its zero-trust architecture with powerful AI engines that are trained and tuned by 500 trillion daily signals. Learn more about Zscaler Zero Trust plus AI to prevent ransomware and AI attacks. Experience your world secured. Visit zscaler.com slash zero trust AI.